The following is part of the teaching ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie, Ontario. We believe firmly in proclaiming the Word of God without apology. For more information about our church, visit our website at harvestberry.ca or email us at info at harvestberry.ca. We trust that this message will challenge and transform you. How about I just give out some gifts right now? Who got one of these? Who got one of these? Okay, if you got one of these, just come on up here right now. Who got one of these? Come on up. If you got one of these, there should be three of them. Who else got one of these? Get up here. Come on, Jeff. All right. Just like, uh, yeah, that's right. It's polite applause. Awkward, but polite. That's... Okay. That's good. We got some gifts here. I got the bag. I got this and I got this. You know, Lori, which one do you want? Just, you want the bag? Do you want this? Just take, that, take that one right there. Sheila, which one do you want? The big bag or the box? It's kind of like, let's make a deal here right now. <laughs> Door number two. Okay. Door number two. That one. Okay, you take that one, and Jeff will take that one, and thanks. And, and that's it. I'm just giving away gifts. You know, nothing has to happen. It's just Merry Christmas, right? That's all. Just giving, away, just giving away gifts. That's all right. Those are from, like, the Bay and Hickory Farms and Laura Secord, and you wish you had gotten one. Yeah. Merry Christmas. Well, you know, the tradition of gift giving is rooted in the actions of the, of the Magi, right? The Magi, the wise men who came and it's kind of established this gift giving tradition. And we've been looking at the Magi over the last a few weeks and we're kind of wrapping that up here this morning. They traveled this long distance to seek out a new king and they brought these lavish gifts uh, for him to honor his birth. And uh, what you may need to hear today, depending on who you are and what you know about all of this, but what you may need to hear today is that the king himself, the one that the Magi brought gifts to, the king himself has some pretty great gifts to give to you today. And, and these are gifts that you're going to want to receive. Now, I'm going to tell you that six, seven days from now, how, or eight days for Suzanne, Six, seven days from now, um, you're going to be given gifts, and not all the gifts you get are gifts you're going to want. You're going to have to pretend you want it. You're going to have to pretend you like it, because the people that are they're watching you as you unwrap it, and they're hoping you smile and go, oh, this is just what I... But it's not going to be, and you're going to hate it, and um, you're not going to want it, but these are gifts. These gifts that the king wants to give you today, these are gifts that you want to receive and of course, all of them come to us as a result of the ultimate gift that he gave us, which is the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. Amen. And so we're really focusing on him today. And what we're going to see is that the birth of Jesus causes great rejoicing and delivers divine rewards to all who come to him. That's what we're going after today. So let's uh, look at Matthew's gospel, chapter two. These, this is the last chunk of verses that we haven't looked at yet in this chapter. Uh, this is uh, verses nine through 15 is our passage. I'm going to read this and we'll pray and we'll get right at it. Sound good? good. All right. Uh, Matthew 2, nine. After listening to the king, this is the magi listening to Herod, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. 
and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and he took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. And this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I have called my son. Let's pray together. Father, please bless our time uh, in your word now. Thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, and all these other gifts that you pour out into our lives. Help us to honor uh, him, to honor you and how we look at your word now. Uh, Father, I pray that you would draw to yourself those who may be searching in our midst right now, but encourage and bless all of us uh, through this time in your word, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, so if we want this, if we want the gifts that God has for us, uh, it really comes down to this. We need to come to him. We need to come to him knowing, just as the Magi did, knowing, here's the first gift, he directs your path. Gift number one is he directs your path. Now, our, our family just finished watching, this is a big deal for us on Wednesday nights, but our family just finished watching uh, the latest season of Survivor. How many Survivor fans in the crowd right here? You like Survivor? Just that ending just wrecked me this year. It was just horrible, horrible. Our family just believed that was the wrong ending. So, so we watched Survivor. You know the premise of this show, even if you don't um, watch it. It's a bunch of people are stranded on, a, on an island, and they're isolated. They're uh, put into two teams generally, and uh, those two teams are pitted against each other, and it all comes down to eliminating people until you have a lone survivor, the sole survivor. They win a million bucks. And, and, and so this year, what they did for this season is they pitted two generations against each other. The two teams were the millennials, uh, the, the 20 and 30-somethings in the crowd, and, and the uh, Gen Xers. Uh, I would be at the very top end of the Gen X generation, so kind of the 40 and 50-year-olds. So those two generations, two teams pitted against each other, and, and they really they identify these generations. There's certain kind of uh, generalizations that are made about them, some um, reputation that these generations would have. So the, the, the millennials, for example, would have this reputation of being a bit uh, directionless, um, unmotivated, uh, lacking initiative, and, and not really caring about any of those things. That's kind of the millennials. Again, a generalization. Not every millennial is that way. But, but then over here, we had the Gen Xers who, in contrast to that, a lot of direction in their life, a lot of initiative, take charge kind of really accomplishing things in life. And so you could see how these two generations would kind of, you know, kind of war against each other a little bit in this particular uh, context. And... and um, you know, as a preacher of the gospel, as I think about these two different, you have one generation that's, that's directionless and one that has lots of direction. But as a preacher of the gospel, I kind of look at those two generations and there are people representing both of those generations in the room right now. And, and the reality is that the millennials uh, need direction, correct? They need direction. And the Gen Xers need to be pointed in the right direction, so whether you're in one category or the other, we just come to the conclusion that um, everyone needs Jesus, amen? Everyone needs the direction that Jesus is offering here, and, and that's, what we, that's what we see. Jesus directs our path. He directed the path of the Magi, and in that is, a, is really a pattern that he follows for all of us. 
So verse 9, the Magi, they speak with Herod. They get the information they're looking for. Where's this king going to be born? They find out it's Bethlehem. They again see the star. And this is what we read in the text. It went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Now what do we make of this star? Because it's the star that's giving them direction. What do we make of this earlier in the series? I said that this is possibly a convergence of two large planets in our solar system, that Jupiter and Saturn came together and and, um, right around that time formed this uh, convergence that was a very bright star in the skies that the Magi would have seen. Jupiter has all this significance attached to it with regard to royalty. And so the Magi would have looked at that, interpreted the star and made um, uh, made this conclusion that the king of the Jews had been born. That's certainly plausible for the initial sighting of the star because that's all it was. They looked in the sky, they saw the star. It isn't like the star was actually tracking with them, no indication of that throughout their journey. They saw the star, they knew the prophecy came from the Hebrew Bible, so they knew that they should go to Israel. They knew they should go to Jerusalem. Now, this mention of the star, though, in verse 9 is a little different. Because now we see the star doing something that Jupiter and Saturn cannot do. And so now our curiosity has peaked a little bit more. Because now we see that this star went before them. There's an indication that there's actually movement from this star. And that once it had gotten them the 8, 10 kilometers down to Bethlehem, once they got there, notice it says that it came to rest over the house where the young family was living. And again, that doesn't seem like something any heavenly body could actually do. No naturally occurring heavenly body. If you read the material on this, some would suggest maybe it was a supernova in the heavens or maybe it was a comet of some kind or some other planetary body or this convergence of Jupiter and Saturn. But, but none of those things could actually do what verse 9 is describing. And so at the end of the day, when you see this, whether the initial star that they saw was the same as this star, the text seems to indicate that it was so. At the end of the day, it seems best to see this as a supernatural phenomenon. A supernatural phenomenon. That it isn't something just up in the heavenly bodies. That it's not any of those things that other people are speculating about. That this is very likely. And listen, God's all about the miracles throughout this story, is he not? I mean, after all, Jesus was born of a virgin after the Holy Spirit came upon her. I think some kind of light in the sky is a pretty small thing compared to a virgin birth. And and so maybe this is an angel who had a very bright flashlight of some kind that he was carrying around. I don't know. It was something like that. Some kind of supernatural phenomenon. Now, God's not going to direct us in the same way. Let's just, just, in our Bibles, just in the margins, just go, this is a one-off. Okay? It's not like, I'm seeking God's guidance, I need his direction, I'm not sure what to do, and, and then tonight you look up in the sky, and you see a star, and it leads you, and you know exactly what, that's probably not going to happen. That's probably not going to happen. And so how does God direct us? Well, Psalm 119 verse 105, I, I think, says it pretty clearly, I've just edited it a little bit to make it personal, but his word is a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. It's really the word of God. If you're looking for direction, if you need guidance in your life, if you need wisdom for something, it's right here in the word of God. We hold it right in our very hands. 
It's not nearly so mysterious as it was for the Magi, but it's simply about you and I getting into the Word of God and hearing Him speak to us into every situation that's going on in our lives. It's all there. And it's curious that even the Magi looked to the Word of God. The very fact that they knew there was a star that was going to rise was because they had studied the Bible and read Numbers 24, 17, a verse we looked at earlier in this series. So they knew there was a star that was going to announce the coming of a king in Judea. And, and, and then, of course, when they got to Jerusalem and they were trying to find out the precise location, Herod called in the chief priests and the scribes, and they said, Micah 5, 2, that the Savior's going to be born in Bethlehem. So even though there was a star, it was the scriptures that pointed to the star, and it was the scriptures that pointed them to Bethlehem. And throughout the account of the nativity, we see scripture after scripture being fulfilled. All of it rooted in the word of God. All the direction you and I need. It's right here. So what are you going to do about that? Are you faithful in the word of God? Do you read it for yourself? Are you studying it? Are you attentive to what it's saying when you need direction? Is this where you're going? Are you seeking the counsel of others? I sure hope you are. Because this is the gift that God has given to us. Come to Jesus knowing he directs your path. All right, ready for another one? All right, here's another one. See that he also puts joy in your heart. I mean, the Magi were so excited to be there. And we saw earlier in the series that they had been waiting literally hundreds of years for the fulfillment of this prophecy. From the time the first Magi had, had read the text and understood the prophecy, they waited and they watched and 500 or so years passed. Until this moment, verse 10, they get there and seeing the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Notice the piling up of joy upon joy upon joy. This is what Matthew Digwell would call a redonkulous joy. It's, it's redonkulous how much joy is here. No one and nothing will give you the kind of joy that Jesus offers you. It's an unceasing joy. And the great thing about joy, and, and we contrast it to happiness, okay? There's happiness and there's joy. And joy is unaffected by the circumstances of our life, but happiness certainly is. Joy has been defined many times as this, supernatural delight in the plans, purposes, and people of God. Supernatural delight in the plans, purposes, and people of God. Joy has its sights set on Jesus and on eternity. Happiness is largely about immediate gratification. Now, I'm not dissing happiness. It's great to be happy. I like to be happy. I just know that when I'm happy, it's, it's got a shelf life. It's going to end. It's not like joy. Happiness is so affected by what's going on around me. You see, the whole thing is an exercise in temporal happiness and God wants to put joy in your heart like he put in the heart of the Magi when they saw his star knowing they were being led to the king. Jesus puts joy in your heart. Do you want that? I told you, these are gifts you want. You should want the gift of joy. Well, here's another one. Jesus also receives you into his family. 
This gift truly is the basis for every other gift. This is the gift of Jesus himself. The Magi get to Bethlehem in verse 11. Notice just the first phrase now. And they get there and going into the house. Just stop there, that's it. Going into the house. Now, you might miss what's going on here if you don't understand the relationship between Jews and Gentiles. So God had really emphasized for the Jewish people that they, they shouldn't be giving themselves over to the gods of the nations and that they really needed to separate themselves and be apart from the nations of the world so that they didn't go after their gods and they were faithful to the one true God. Well, the Jews then created a social convention which meant that they couldn't even have a Gentile in their house. They couldn't share a meal with a Gentile. Well, now you have these magi. They're as Gentile as they come. They're not Jewish. And they come and they arrive in Bethlehem and they knock on the door. And Joseph evidently welcomes these Gentiles into his home. You can't miss what's going on with that. They came into the house of Joseph to see his son. They were received, in essence, into Joseph's home. Now, zoom out from that for a second. Just kind of keep that in mind, but zoom out from that and now think about ourselves in terms of the family of God and please understand that we're the Gentiles, we're the outsiders, we're the ones who are not part of the family of faith. Now this is all a result of our choice, humanity's choice to sin, which severed the relationship between us and our God. We are not in terms of relationship, we are not, and I hear this all the time, we are not children of God in terms of relationship. Now I get we are in, in the sense that he's the creator and all humanity came as a result of his creation and in that sense we were born of God in that sense, but because of sin, because the relationship was severed, we are in fact alienated from God and no longer part of his family. So we are not, in the right sense of this, children of God. Even though we might sing about that, even though people might talk about that, we are not the children of God. In fact, you know what we are? A couple different uh, passages here. Jesus in John 8 is talking to uh, some Jewish people. Now remember, the Jewish people are the chosen people of God. The people who are entrusted with the covenant. And, and Jesus is talking to some religious people, um, some Jewish people about this. And he, he, he's trying to tell them about the kingdom of God. And they're like, yeah, I don't think we need your message because we're actually children of Abraham. And so we've got this all locked down. And Jesus corrects him. He stops him. He says, actually... You are, this is a quote now, he says, you are children of your father, the, the devil. That's the family you're in. In Romans chapter five, in, in that great book really that's all about how we come into a relationship with God and in the midst of chapter five, Paul actually says to us that we are enemies of God. That's Romans 5.10. We are enemies of God. Certainly not the children of God. And it was the birth of Jesus Christ. It was God being made flesh and dwelling amongst us and teaching us about the kingdom of God. 
and then sacrificing his life, becoming sin for us, that actually removed the curse of sin and made it possible for us to be received into his family. Now that sense of belonging is the best gift that anyone could ever receive. Every other gift aside, and this really is what what we're looking at right now, the most important part of this message. Of everything I'm going to say, this is it. I love what Paul said in in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, you who were once children of your father, the devil, you who were once enemies of God, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. Most gifts are things we don't need. Think about that this week when you're getting gifts. Most gifts that you get are things you don't, you don't need. Cheryl and I were at the mall on Friday and we're walking through the mall and we, would, we walked into a couple of stores where I just I looked around and I said, there's not a single thing in this store that someone needs. This is, this is a store filled with trivial and useless things that no one needs and they're doing a booming business. And while it's awesome to get a new pair of socks, you might think you need those or there might be a few guys in the room who think they need a new flat screen TV. I understand that need. Perceived need. This, this is the gift that you can't do without. Knowing you belong to God, knowing that he's your father and having him call you his son or daughter. That's what you really can't do without. Receive the gift of Jesus Christ and you will find a welcome as the Magi did. And then look at this next. Uh, Jesus accepts your worship. Now, accepting your worship is predicated on you actually becoming part of his family. But this would be the next gift that you would receive. Verse 11 continues. Going into the house, notice they fell down and worshiped him. Now again, we said previously the Magi could not possibly have fully understood whom they were worshiping, all the implications of their worship. They could not possibly have grasped that at the time. But what they, this is so important, what they did in ignorance, God accepted as genuine, heartfelt adoration of the Savior. And and don't think that the Magi are the only ones who are ignorant about their worship. None of us, not a single person in this room, is so aware of God, so mature in our faith. I've walked with him so long. None of us is in that place with such a full knowledge of who God is that we are not still so constrained by our own flesh, by our sin, by eyes that focus too much on the things that we see. We have such severe limitations when it comes to worship. We're so easily distracted. We have such an obvious ignorance 
about God and, and yet he still accepts our worship. The Magi worshiped in ignorance, but so do I. Every week, I worship in ignorance. And I bring the best that I can bring to worship him. But it's still in ignorance. There's still so much I don't know about God. And yet he receives it from me. And accepts my feeble worship graciously. And in his mercy. Now I wonder how much you want to receive this gift from God. And, and also be a better worshiper. It takes just one thing, and it's, it's pictured here by the Magi. The one thing, the only thing that you really need to be a better worshiper of Jesus Christ is humility. They fell down. They fell down in front of a little boy. I'd love to go down to Harvest Kids right now and just grab like one of the 18-month-old boys who are generally terrors and bring one of those cute, cute, and bring one of those little boys here and, and, and just imagine these, these important, influential, intelligent, wealthy magi coming into this humble little home and falling on their faces before this little boy. Now that takes humility. There can't be any pride in you. There can't be any, any thought of you in you. When it comes to worship. You see the only thing hindering you from adoring Jesus more completely is your own personal resistance to getting low. Pushing yourself out of the way and falling down before him. Maybe you think too much about what others think of you. Worship is the gift that he gives us to connect as best as we can with our God, but we allow ourselves to be in the way of that. And I imagine, again, the Magi... They, they suspected that the king was going to be born in the capital city, in the palace. So that's where they went. But then they, they end up being directed to this little town. If you understand anything about Bethlehem, it's, it's again, 8 to 10 kilometers outside of Jerusalem, due south. And it's, it's a little shepherding village. It's not a city by any stretch of the imagination. It, it's just a little collection of poorer working class people who have sheep out in the fields and who live in this town. Do you imagine maybe the Magi were like, this can't be the place, this town really? This is the small town outside the big city that the big city mocks. Lest I offend anybody, I will not present any examples of that <laughs> in this area. But I know Toronto people mock Barry and it's that kind of a thing. And then they walk down the street and they get to the house. Could this be the place? These people, these are the parents? He's a carpenter. They're from Nazareth. This little boy, this is who we're going to bow before? There's none of that. 
There's zero resistance. Whatever excuses you're using to not fully, more completely, passionately, unreservedly worship Jesus, they're not good enough. Why you don't sing, why you don't clap, why you won't raise your hands, why you won't engage in any way in corporate worship is something you and the Lord have to wrestle down, but it's nothing more than a resistance that is rooted in pride. Get humble, get low. God wants to receive your worship. All right, another gift he gives. He multiplies your generosity. Maybe some of you are sitting here right now going, I'm tired of opening gifts. Can we stop now? No, I got three more to go. Okay. What a gift to know that the gift you give, watch how this works, what a gift to know that the gift you give results back in eternal impact in this world. Verse 11 continues, then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, then opening their their treasures. Then, what happens before the then? Some important things happen there. They, They come into the house and they fall down before him and they worship him first. In other words, they present themselves to the Lord. This is the most important part. They present themselves to the Lord before they bring their treasures. It isn't like they came through the door and they say, oh, we heard there's a new baby. We brought a gift. That's not it. They went into the house, not even thinking about the treasures. They went into the house and they fell down before him and they worshiped him first. And it got me thinking about 2 Corinthians chapter 8. In chapter 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians, Paul's teaching all about giving and he's talking about an offering and he says of the people he's using as an example to the Corinthians, the Macedonians, he says this of them, uh, this is in 2 Corinthians 8, 5, they gave themselves first to the Lord. Isn't that exactly what the Magi did? They came through the door and they fell down before him and they worshiped him and then, see it in the text? Then they presented their treasures to him. Now, you know the treasures, of course, and I've brought a very small sampling of each of these treasures, but I have actual authentic of each of these uh, to show to you right now. And they, they brought, of course, gold, and I thought it would be great to have some actual gold. And so I bought some this week. I want you to know the sacrifice this is because uh, gold is actually dropping in price these days. And so this is worth about $100 less than it was on Wednesday when I bought it. <laughs> And so um, this is a Canadian gold coin. Uh, this is a one ounce gold coin. And you can certainly come up here after the service and feel it. You can feel the weightiness of it. But this is pure gold. And um, the quantity, this is worth about, well, I, I paid $1,600. It's worth about $1,500 this morning. And, um, and uh, the, the Magi would have brought a significant amount of this uh, to uh, the young king. And then frankincense is a resin and uh, this, you can just see chunks of that there. Um, they're not uh, soft, really. They're kind of hard. But this is used, uh, this is uh, distilled from uh, or uh, taken from tree sap and uh, then um, used as a perfume or as incense. Um, uh, frankincense is um, uh, for aroma things. We, 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 these things are available now because of people being into aromatherapy and, and essential oils. And then myrrh, this is an oil. I won't pour this out, but there's a small amount of myrrh in here. And, um, 
And this also was used, this was for anointing the dead, but it was also used as a healing ointment, a healing oil, and also as an incense as well. And again, people are using this again uh, today if you're into the essential oils and all of that. Now these three gifts, again, this is a small quantity of each of those. And when you look at those three gifts, you might ask, well, why these three gifts? One of them is fairly obvious. We know what gold is all about. We're less familiar with these other two uh, gifts, but why these? And there are some people who, look at kind of symbolism of all this. And the Magi couldn't have thought through all the symbolism of this, but that a gold, a symbol of royalty, and the, he certainly was the king. And frankincense um, would be uh, something that was used in the sacrificial system at the temple um, while the sacrifices were going on. And so some would say this points to his royalty and this points to his divinity, the sacrifices. And then myrrh, because it was used to anoint, it was a healing oil, but also used to anoint the dead, um, would point to his human. Humanity. So his royalty, his divinity, and his humanity. Now, I don't know if we want to make too much of that. The scriptures don't point to that at all. A lot of people have made a lot of it. But I, 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 just, I would just say, I think there's just a far more practical reason why the Magi brought these three gifts and why they were prompted by the Lord to bring these three gifts. And it was what happens next in the story. Because after the Magi leave, we're going to see that, that Joseph and Mary and the child escape to Egypt to escape Herod's uh, edict that all the babies are going to be destroyed. And these treasures would have taken this impoverished little working class family and given them all of the financial resources they needed to make the trip to Egypt and to live there for an unspecified uh, length of time. So it, these are, symbolism aside, this was very, very practical provision on the part of the Lord for this family. And again, the Magi couldn't have imagined all of that. They were just honoring the new king by bringing these great treasures. And God, of course, does the very same thing with the treasures that you bring and present to him on a regular basis. And this is such a generous church, and that's been proven out time and again, and this year in particular. And many of you participated in the offering a few minutes ago, and you gave toward our general fund, which funds our salaries and the lease on this building and all of our ministry funds, and it, it funds our partners in, in our global ministries and, and in our uh, compassion partnerships here in the city. And you were generous toward that, and it's been a great year as you've been generous toward that. Many of you give regularly toward the Hope Fund, and... Uh, and uh, we help so many families to encourage them or if they're in a tough spot and we've just thousands and thousands of dollars have gone out to help in very practical ways this year through our Hope Fund. Many of you have made commitments toward our Made for This campaign and God is gonna use that and multiply that in the coming years until the Lord comes back. And at Christmas, our Harvest Helps campaign. Again, God is gonna take all of that as we work with those partners God is going to use all of that and multiply it in a way that we couldn't even have imagined. The Magi couldn't have imagined why they were given the gift. But it was very needed for this young family. And God's going to continue to do all of that and bring about an eternal impact from it all. God multiplying your generosity is a gift back to you. Amen? It's a gift back to you, and I'm grateful for it. All right, a couple more. Almost there. It's like a marathon, right? Seven, seven point, it's like a marathon, right? We're not sprinting. Um, so come to Jesus knowing he blesses your obedience, verse, uh, verse 12 now. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi departed to their own country by another way. So the Magi received this dream. They're going to skip out on Herod. Uh, they got a different route in mind. 
and it's just evident to me as I read this that the Magi, every step of the way, followed the promptings and leadings that the Lord was putting in front of them. They were obedient to everything the Lord was saying to them. They made sacrifices to search for him. They found him. They worshiped him. Every step and act of obedience on their part. And as a result of them perfectly following God's will, God blessed them. And blessing always follows obedience. God is eager to bless you in this way. And I, again, try to imagine the scene when they got to the house. I mean, this is 500 years of waiting, and this is now the group of magi. They get to see the fulfillment of everything they've been waiting for. And they've come to this town, and they're standing at the door. And, and are they, like, so giddy with excitement? They're like, you knock on the door, you knock on the door, I'll knock on the door. Were they high-fiving each other when they went through? Were they, were they hugging? Were they dancing around the room? Were they singing and shouting with glee and excitement? God had put all of that inside of them. And it was all the result of being obedient. I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, there is nothing, nothing that this world offers that can do that for you the way that obedience to God can. And for sure, that joy, that excitement, that exuberance, the happiness of the moment, all of that, for sure, none of that. If you're just going like, I don't have any of that in my life. That's not happening for me. Well, maybe it's time to take a little stock and just ask the simple question, is it because I'm not obeying God? Am I in rebellion against him? Do I have secret sin in my life? Is there something that I'm holding on to that I refuse to let go? And if that's the case, then you shouldn't expect to have excitement and joy and exuberance and the lightness that comes as a result of obeying the Lord. And so maybe on this point alone, you can't receive the gift until you've dealt with some things in your own life and then receive that from the Lord. He wants to bless your obedience. So much more we could say about that, obviously, but that'll be good for now. Finally, this last one, seven gifts. This is number seven. When you come to him, Jesus secures your every step. Now, feeling insecure is pretty common today. And I think that if we evaluated our own lives and what's going on in the world and our families and all of that, I think we would say, well, I have reason to feel insecure. There's a lot of economic insecurity in the world. There's a lot of political insecurity in the world and in our country. I mean, if you've been following the news at all and you see what's going on in Syria right now and, and how it just seems like there's no way to help, apart from an intervention of God, there seems to be no way to help. Nobody has the will to help. And, and in Syria, nobody even knows who's fighting for whom. Did I even know that we were on or off the side of Aleppo? I just didn't even know. And you look at that and you just go, for those people, obviously, and for the Middle East as a whole, just insecurity. No one feels secure. But that's not just there. 
maybe it's slightly different, but if, if you think to just a few weeks ago in the presidential election in the United States and how much insecurity that caused in people and continues to cause people who aren't particularly happy with the result. Or in this country, I mean, do we even know what the next year or so is going to hold with a government that's legalizing marijuana, with a government that's legalizing doctor-assisted suicide? With the, the things that are happening with transgenderism and the whole idea of gender and are we male and female or is there a spectrum? I mean, I, I can't think of a, a better word than insecurity really to describe what's happening in our country today. And I don't know what's going to happen a year from now or five years from now or ten years from now, but it creates this sense of insecurity, I think, in all of us. Or maybe I could just bring it down a little bit more personally and say there are probably some people in this room that are feeling insecure about their jobs and therefore their financial situation, or maybe you're feeling insecure about a relationship right now and your marriage isn't in a good place, or your dating relationship, or a relationship with someone else in your family or a friend. Or maybe the thing you're most concerned about and what's causing insecurity for you is your health. Safe to say, it could be that there's a lot of insecurity in the room and in our hearts and minds. And no matter what it is, Jesus wants you to know that he secures your every step. That's the gift that he's offering you right now. He secures your every step. And in verses 13 through 15 now, when the Magi had departed, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, tells him to take his family, flee to Egypt, stay there. Herod's going to look for the child, look for Jesus to kill him. So they escape by night, they get to Egypt, they stayed there until the death of Herod, and then the scripture was fulfilled that out of Egypt I've called my son because of this exile that they were on for this period of time. It's pretty obvious that God is looking out for his son and he's looking out for this little family that's taking care of his son. And with all the uncertainty in the world of today, it's so great to know that God secures every single step. He secured every single step of Joseph and Mary and his son. And as we wrap up this year in just a couple weeks' time, we don't know what next year holds for us. And even if right now you're going, I don't have any insecurity in my job, my health is good, our family's in a good place, it's all looking pretty rosy right now, we're all smart enough to know that life is so fleeting and things can change in an instant. And we need to know that God secures our every step and he's showing us here his sovereign plan at work that he protects and he is working out his plan for each one of us. For the Magi, he worked it out. For, for Joseph and Mary and Jesus, he worked it out. And for you and me, we can trust him fully. The security he offers is a gift that no one can match. It's a gift you really want. Let me read some verses that just kind of help us get a sense of this security. Psalm 46, verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Amen? 
Philippians 1, 6, I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will complete it at the day of salvation, the day of the Lord. Hebrews 6, 19, this hope we have is an anchor for the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast. Amen? John 10, 28, Jesus said, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. He secures your every step. Well, that was a lot to digest. Seven gifts that he offers to us and all of that, I hope you see it, that the birth of Jesus causes great rejoicing and delivers divine rewards to all who come to him. So let me just say this now. Don't expect to be happy in this life. Don't expect to find satisfaction and fulfillment in the trivial gifts that we give to one another but instead receive the greatest gift of all, Jesus Christ. Come to Jesus as the Magi did. Search him out. Seek for the truth. Give up whatever's holding you back. Come offering the gift of yourself. Bend your knee. Fall before him to worship him alone. As Jesus himself would say, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, all these other gifts will be added to you. Amen? Amen. Amen. What a great God we serve and worship. Thanks so much for listening. We always love hearing about the work God's doing in our listeners. If God's been doing a work in you, send us an email at info at And remember, you are loved.